0: Welcome to Tokyo Speaks. I'm your host, Cliff. Uh, this is uh, an inclusive podcast featuring a diverse and inspiring international community in Tokyo. Uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, and this is episode 85. All right. Uh, before I introduce today's featured guests, I'll have my guest hosts.
1: All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Thalia Marie Harris. Thalia is fine. I've lived in Tokyo for over seven years. I'm originally from the North Jersey, New York City area. You could probably tell within the last sentence I just spoke. <laughs> um, I work as an English teacher, as most people do. I'm also a freelance writer. I am currently uh, a writer for Unseen Japan.
0: Yes, I have read a few of your pieces, and uh, yeah, I wanted to have you on. Because you're, you're someone that's, you know, I've seen, we, I guess we're in, like, similar Facebook groups. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've seen you online, and, uh, yeah, wanted to bring you on. I, I try to make this, uh, so for those of you who are new, um, a while back, or when the podcast started out, we started out under a different name, and I had a co-host, and he was, like, the permanent co-host. But once he stepped down, I thought it would be better to just have, like, different guest hosts for each episode or not for each not every episode but maybe half of them and just get more of the community involved hear more voices more experiences um that's the basically the concept all right so i'll have that was time for the future guests to introduce themselves
2: My name is Sierra. I am a student here in Tokyo, a university student. I study art. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but I've been living in Tokyo for two years now. And I was, I guess, like the main organizer of the um, BLM March that happened here recently in Tokyo. And I created the Facebook group.
3: Hi, my name is Jamie Smith. Um, I've been living in Japan for three years now. I'm a marketer, an art teacher, and a model here. Um, I'm originally from the Baltimore, Maryland area. Um, originally grew up in in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, but uh, claim Baltimore is where I uh, went to university, Towson University. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I used to live in Bowie for like six months, maybe.
3: Oh, yeah. My yeah. father lives there. So oh, I he So know does? the area.
0: Okay, yeah. I don't really remember much, but I did go to, uh, what's the call Prince George Community College oh, yeah. for, yeah, like three months. Didn't work out. Uh went back to New York, but uh, anyway. <laughs> all right, cool. Glad to have you all here. And, uh, you know, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh blm tokyo black lives matter tokyo with the organizers Um, see how it got started and uh, talk about some other things that kind of uh that was that was happening leading up to this event and um we'll talk about the future guests um more about where they come from and why they came to japan and all that stuff so yeah i guess we just jump right into it yeah why did you come to japan
2: I came to Japan for college. So I am like a full-time undergrad student here. And the reason that I chose to go to school in Japan is I was thinking that I wanted to at least study abroad for like a semester or something in college. And then when I was like looking at uh different schools and especially when I was comparing the costs, I had applied to a bunch of private universities in the United States which are extremely expensive. And the school that I go to is Temple University, like a branch of the school in Philadelphia, which is a public school. Um, and the campus here is significantly cheaper than almost every other school that I applied to and got into. So thinking about that and then thinking about how I wanted the experience of living in a different country I just decided to go ahead and go for it and move abroad for college and see where that took me.
0: Nice, nice.
3: Um, I came here on a childhood dream. Um, My father is a martial artist um, in multiple martial arts. And so that's like his pride and passion and um, he wanted me to kind of follow in his footsteps but I i don't like fighting um, <laughs> and so he really wanted to kind of share his love of Japan with me so he introduced me to anime um, so that's kind of how we bonded uh, over Japan together is by watching anime and when I was about 10 years old I told my mother that I was going to move to Japan wow <laughs> so uh my senior year of university i did study abroad i did an intensive language course for five weeks and then um as soon as i came back from that i think my parents were kind of hoping that i had gotten over it but i was like oh, i'm definitely moving there now <laughs> um i applied to the jet program and i got in
0: nice nice
1: nice that's pretty much how i got here too not the jet program but 10 year old loved anime that whole thing <laughs> oh then, really yeah, yeah 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 it was pretty similar Except, like, I'm the only person in my family who was ever into Japanese culture like that, let alone a foreign culture period, (laughs) you Mm. know? So it was definitely, like, a matter of, like, people ask me, like, do your parents speak Japanese? No, but they would, like, buy me the books and and drill me if they could. And then I went to Japanese language weekend school, and I was, like, the only black kid there. (laughs) Um, But it was a good experience. Yeah.
0: Now, you said, Jamie, you said you don't like fighting, but can you fight? no okay okay (laughs) so please unless i I have to (laughs) (laughs) i
3: will scratch scratch probably uh, (laughs) just don't try me (laughs) i'll cry (laughs) (laughs) cool
0: all right now uh yeah so you know on to blm uh black lives matter tokyo and how that got started Leading up to this, maybe about, I guess it was a week before it was an event.
1: Yeah, yeah it took place. So um, you two know about the protest by TRAC uh, about the Kurdish guy? Yeah. All right. So for those who don't know, um, about, a, this would be May 30th, uh, there was a protest that took place in Shibuya, ironically where we are right now. <laughs> And um what happened was this Kurdish guy, so a Turkish person of Kurdish descent, he had been pulled over um by the police near Ebisu station, I think a couple days before. No, I'm sorry, around a week before. And you know, he didn't he's you know, he didn't do any like, you know, illegal turns or anything like that. He's a permanent res- resident, works in a restaurant. We don't know his name. He's anonymous. So we just call him, you know, Turkish, Kurdish mm-hmm. man. Which is kind of sounds weird, but I guess for his safety, it's for the best. And um he was pulled over by the police uh they made him they they made him get out the car tried to search the, tried to search the car uh then they pulled him from the car and basically tried to detain him and if it wasn't for his friend recording you know he probably would have been hauled away now there are two recordings this there's one that his friend made and there was one that these random japanese women made but it seems much more like derogatory because they were kind of laughing the whole time. You know, why he was basically saying, you know, I didn't do anything wrong and so on and so forth. Why are you detaining me? And then three days later, um, he uh, he uh, he filed a complaint with the public prosecutor's office here in Tokyo. Um, then he got together with a CRAC, which is the Counter Racist Action Collective or CRAC. And um, they're, they are. they've been around for a while. They're like an anti-fascist, anti-racist. Um, collective based in Tokyo. There's different um, branches. I think there's one in Nagoya as well. And um, they went on down to Shibuya Police Station and they said what they had to say, which took me by surprise personally because I didn't think Japanese people cared like that. Mm -hmm. Like there's a rich, rich history of protesting in Japan. Uh, Definitely during the 60s, there was a rice riots of 1918. Um, But the fact that not only did they protest this, but the fact that they cared about a foreigner and the fact that they saw in solidarity with the um uprisings that were happening back in the states that was a lot to to take in so i definitely had to write about it and also it was pretty it was a pretty big deal
0: that's an interesting point that you said is is a long uh, history of protesting yet at the same time i don't think japan is known to be a uh i guess a a protesting country like people are not not for the most part yeah yeah they're just non-confrontational don't want to
1: they don't I really want to get involved in politics get involved I yeah, mean, in politics yeah there's a reason why there's no daily show or last week tonight here you know what i mean mm. like any sense of of you know even like just roasting you know a politician mm. i think the closest thing we got to roasting a politician was that one guy out in hyogo who got caught embezzling and he had that dramatic crying mm. you know yeah. you don't know what's <laughs> going on and um but that's like the closest thing we've had to it um and there's just no culture that mm. discusses politics. It seems like too much of a bother. Seems like, you know, something to get way too caught up in. And it's really interesting because in the 60s, as was the case around the world, of course, but in the 60s there were a lot of students like protesting, like really rioting actually. Um, and I sometimes I would I wonder like I guess nowadays – You know, what makes Japanese people not be as active except in these situations Mm. or rather if they're active, the general public will not discuss it or the general media will not discuss it.
0: Yes. Um, And, and you know, would you say that these protests are usually like very small numbers?
1: I would say it's either small numbers or it's not as it's not necessarily connected to the rest of the world. I would say it was very, it's very much like these are things that are happening in Japan. Mm. But with the crack protests, it was, it was very clear that yes, even though it focused on the Kurdish man who had been harassed, it was definitely in solidarity with just general mistreatment of foreigners by police here. um, And also in solidarity with what was going on back home, um, which was the uprisings around George Floyd and everyone else who had died that week.
0: Mm. Yeah, thanks for that Mm -hmm. insight. Yeah, and and then prior to BLM Tokyo, there was uh, the Kansai uh, BLM Kansai uh, March, right? Not protest. Yeah, March. March. You can't say (laughs) protest.
1: Then the visa people be like, "Ooh, what are you doing?"
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I guess the idea with that is that you know um, protests are seen as something that's more aggressive. Yeah, and uh,
1: something that a, a Japanese national or citizen would have the right to, but not necessarily. Uh, a foreigner, let alone a foreign resident. Mm. So that's why people were really careful about one attending, from my observation, of course, Mm. um, you know, one attending into calling it or naming it as a protest. Mm.
4: Because,
1: I mean, that's a real concern people have, you know, like, especially if you come from a country that you don't particularly feel safe going back to at the moment, Mm. you don't want to risk it. So you either might find, you either might not attend this um, protest or you might find another way to resist which I think is a, are important avenues to explore cuz not everyone can go for whatever reason.
0: Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, BLM Kansai, I think that was was about what 1000 or more people that Something showed like that, up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Shout yeah. out to uh, Ayana Wise, my homie. She's been on the podcast a few times. Um, yeah, I think it was a pretty pretty good turnout for them and then and then came BLM Tokyo. So um, how did that get started?
2: yeah uh so it started what like three three weeks ago now Mm -hmm. or maybe i don't know um so it started with just me and like seven other people going out and doing like a really small like standing protest holding signs uh just trying to like educate people about these kinds of issues that are going on and that came together in like two hours, like one day really fast. Um, But there were like other people who were messaging me that they were interested in like doing some sort of other protest if I was going to plan anything or they were kind of expressing my same sentiment of really wanting to be able to like physically express what they were feeling, but not really having like an outlet for that at the moment so that was when I created the Facebook group just thinking that I would get together maybe like a couple hundred people who could do a march and i had been hoping to do a march that like next weekend so the day that I first went out was I guess like June 1st I believe something like that so I was hoping to do a next event a larger one the weekend following that Um, but Within three days of creating the group, it had a thousand members. So that was when I had to like reevaluate everything. <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking that I would just like put together like a simple little march and it wasn't really going to be this complicated endeavor. But just managing the Facebook was becoming this huge task and I couldn't mm-hmm. even like take the time to plan. And I was having to reevaluate what I was planning for. Because there were going to be a bunch of people and I was going to have to deal with all these people coming. So that was when I started to actually try to like organize the group and get people into different roles and try to take some of the burden off. And that was when I first created like the moderation team for the Facebook um, so that I didn't have to like deal with every single like post request because so many people were trying to post. And that was another thing that I wasn't prepared for. Just like dozens of posts <laughs> trying to be made every single day um, and all of the comments and all the people messaging me and there's just like so much going on so I ended up and then I also had to deal with like aspects of like planning a march because i would never done anything like this before that I wasn't really prepared to do. Uh, the first step was of course the permit to be able to uh, demonstrate here and that was like That was something I would have had no idea how to do on my own. So luckily some people, the good thing about the group being so big was that there were a lot of people that could help me and a lot of people that had different experience and connections. So I was able to find somebody who did know how to get the permits and who frequently does get them. And this was the person who had obtained the permits for the other anti-racism marches that were happening in Tokyo. So with his help, it was a lot easier to do that part of it. And the Kansai group, so they did their march before us, and they kind of came out of the Tokyo group because I made the group just planning for Tokyo, of course. And some people had joined the group, and they were like, is anything going to be planned for the Kansai region? And I was like, I can't plan stuff for a place that I don't live in, sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But I was like, oh, if you guys create your own group there will probably be plenty of people that are interested. You guys should go do that. So they went off and did their own thing. And since then, we've been pretty separate, not really in contact that much with each other. But happy to see that they had, like, so much success with their event as well. So it's just been the two weeks leading up to it were a lot of stress and a lot of just obstacles coming up every single day. But I was really glad to see that it all came together so well
0: how difficult was it to get the permit like or how, how long did it take
2: in my situation it was surprisingly easy so like i said i went with somebody who was extremely experienced he told me that he gets permits usually like four to five times a month okay. so wow. <laughs> and he told me that he all he needed was 72 hours before the event um because other people had told me that they had tried to do it like themselves And it had taken maybe like a couple of weeks or something like that to confirm it. But he said that as long as there was 72 hours notice, it wouldn't be a problem. So we went there the Friday the week before. So just a little bit over a week. But it wasn't really an issue. It was a lot easier and a lot less like formal than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought it was like this really like serious Thing where if mm. I say like the wrong thing, <laughs> the police are gonna like kick me out or something. But <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I want to hold a march for this Black Lives Matter thing. And they're like, oh, okay, sounds good, sure,
0: <laughs>
1: cool. Because yeah. usually bureaucracy is much worse than that. Yeah, like, yeah it's right. a nightmare.
0: Seventy-two hours. Wow, that was that's not bad.
1: No, yeah.
0: cool. And then Jamie, how did you? uh Where did you come in?
3: Um. So. So I know Sierra personally, like we're friends and when she had posted and I I know she had posted about like the little march that she had done in a number of different groups, but specifically a group we have in common is black women in Japan. And so when she posted like the pictures of kind of like the little march in that group, um, I was one of the first people to be like, oh, if you do this again, I want to go with you. Um, and so when she made the group, uh, the BML Tokyo group, of course, I, like, jumped in. And then um, when it, as it grew, um, Sierra kind of decided that sh- she wanted, like, marketing, basically. like, um, And she asked for people who had graphic design experience. And I'm a graphic designer by trade. And so she came to me and asked me, do you want to lead this design team? And I had never led a team of anyone before wow. especially not designers um like i've done big design projects but they've always been singular you know projects and so but i i jumped at the opportunity i said yes yeah i'll do it um, so it kind of took me by surprise when we were kind of put into this like Facebook Messenger group, and it was like fifteen people, fifteen to twenty people, and it was like, okay, so these are your designers, this is your leader, and wow. this is what we <laughs> need, and go. And I'm like, <laughs> but, um, but I have to say, um, it they were amazing. Like I ended, we ended up. Bringing in more people because we didn't just need designers, but we needed writers and we needed translators as well. And I had luckily Sierra kind of knew what she wanted right off the back. It was like a website, um, at least four posters, and like two flyers and a pamphlet. And and so I, ha- I have to say they were amazing because we did that all
1: in just a little over a week.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So like, look, looking back on your experience now, considering this was the first time for both of you, correct? Considering, you know, the, the, the scale of the project, um, what are some things you think you did well? And what are some things you would like to improve on for the next event? Either one can answer first.
2: I think that the fact that it did not completely fall apart um, in the time between trying to set things up and the actual like first event occurring, obviously there were parts of it that worked pretty well at least for the time so I would I guess I would put more time into and like more thought I guess into like the groups themselves and like who's in each group and like what groups exist to like support the overall like BLM group because when I was like first creating groups it was just like there was no time to really, like, sort anything out. It was just, like, anybody who says they can do this thing, they go into, like, this one group. And it was, like, kind of chaotic. Um, and as far as, like, the actual, like, march itself, um, I was really happy to hear that people said that they felt safe. Like, that was something that people specifically told me they felt safe. And they felt like it was well organized. Um so there were like some cu- a couple of things that happened March day that I wasn't really prepared for like I wasn't prepared for how many people were going to First of all, try to interview me like that day, <laughs> yeah. uh, and how many of them like wanted to do like their own separate like thing because I was thinking that I would just kind of like talk to them all at once, and they were all like asking me the same questions anyway. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. were like all like, "Oh wait, no, we want to film you for like this TV show, so you have to come stand over here and like film for our thing." <laughs> and then there's like another person like, "No, you have to like wear our mic over here and do this thing." So that's been exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> So I did not anticipate that, and I didn't anticipate how much time that part was going to take before the march. I didn't set enough time aside because I did plan for the interviews before, but did not realize just how how much time that was going to take and how quickly everything was going to go by. Um, so I would have planned better for that, and I would have planned for planned better for people to deal with press because I did create like a small press team, but that was kind of I think like in a couple of days before the actual event and i had given them like um like a page of like sample questions they might be asked and like the overall like message of the group I guess you could say. So at least they had that. But I also feel like we could have like better been prepared maybe as a group. Um but I was also one thing that I was happy about was like the amount of volunteers there were. There were a lot of people that volunteered, and I think they did do a good job, like with lining people up, because I was impressed with how quickly people got into line and were organized. And we did like start a little bit late, but I was just like impressed with. I kind of got stuck at the very back of the group, um, but it still went really smoothly, like from the front and from the beginning. So I was really happy to see that.
3: Okay, cool, Jamie. Um, so one thing I was really impressed with was the speed. Um, just like I said, it was a week and a half. And within that amount of time, you know, we did get all the materials that were requested out. Um, so yeah, I was just really impressed with the speed and just the amount of time that people were willing to dedicate to this. Because I mean, I know, you know, having three jobs and on top and then the B L M on top of it. Yeah. Like it was it was a lot. Um and so and I know some people have but I, I'm lucky enough to be a part-timer, so I can kind of spread out my time. But I know a lot of people had, like, full-time jobs, but they were still dedicating so much time uh, to this. And so that was really amazing to me and really heartwarming. Mm. Um, something I wish we had done a bit better was uh, quality control. Um I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about it at this point but uh, we had to redesign our logo twice I was going to ask about that
1: later (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to know more about that yeah Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um. I mean, I could go into it a bit now. Sure. Yeah. Please. Okay. That was actually my question. When it came time, I kind of had a vision for what I wanted our marketing to look like, as far as color scheme and like the designs. So the 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 idea of using like black, white, and red was my idea, and then someone kind of put input the yellow. So that's Mm -hmm. how we got the black, white, red, and yellow.
1: And where'd the yellow come from?
3: The yellow is used by uh, Black Lives Matter uh us so their colors are mostly uh, black and yellow although they use uh, some white as well right um i wanted to use red because japan there wasn't a whole lot of (laughs) Mm. thought put into that but yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. so we got black white red and yellow um one of our designers came up with the initial logo um and in our kind of like tiredness, you know. The one with the hinomaru? The hinomaru and the the original fist was white. hmm
4: So. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs>
3: and her kind of tiredness, like she presented this logo and I was just kind of like... Yeah, like it looks Mm -hmm. it looks great. It's fine because I'm kinda in just like designer mode where it's like you don't put black on red. Yeah. You put white on red. Right. And Mm. so I'm just like and I'm I'm exhausted. I'm so like, yeah, this is great. Let's publish it. And apparently there were people in the group who had some reservations about it. I one thing I had to make clear is because because I was the leader And because I'm black, I think a lot of people kind of defer to me as like the final say. Mm -hmm. And so if I said something was fine, no one was going to question it. it, And so I kind of needed to make clear that just because I am like the black voice of this design team, I need people to ask me questions like it's okay, I'm not going to get mad. Right. You're not going to have yes men around you. Right. Exactly. Because that I, I want like... I want good design, and I want to put a good message out there. So, yeah, that was the initial issue. Um, And so we changed the fist to black. Uh, But in our, like, apology, um, it had been written that it was, like, a fist on a Hinomaru. And original, like... And I think that caused an issue because originally no one had brought up the Hinomaru right. at all. But I think because we didn't leave it vague, I mean, I to me it was very obvious that it was the Jap- like the circle from the Japanese flag. Mm-hmm. But I think because we hadn't set that outright, a lot of people just kind of left it alone. Yeah. Once we said it outright, it caused a bit of a, a stir. Um, originally, because of time constraints, like we were about to print we were about to go to print and so originally we had said we were going to leave it um that was a mistake <laughs> 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 um so very quickly um and i and i'm very thankful for the designers because it was all different designers each doing a different thing and so whenever we had to make a change each designer had to go back and like change their designs um so i was like all right uh, what is the like least offensive thing we could do? And we just decided that that would be pure text. Um, and it was actually an idea given to us by someone on Instagram. They were just like, why don't you just use white letters, Tokyo, and red? And we decided to go with that. So thank you to that person. I don't remember exactly who they are. But yeah, we just decided to go with that. And then I was like, all right. All of you need to change, like, all of your designs, <laughs> replace the logo. And then I I took it a step further. You know, a lot of people never saw that a, kind of our designs had red circles incorporated, not to represent the Hinamaru, but just red circles as a design element. Mm-hmm. And I told them to all go back and just switch the circles to yellow. And so you might have seen in some designs actually put out that mm-hmm. we use a lot of yellow circles. Those were all originally red circles, but we just went ahead and, Yeah.
1: For the audience who might not be aware, because a lot of people don't live in Japan, could you explain why the Hinomaru would be considered controversial?
3: So the Hinomaru is considered controversial. It's considered basically um, a symbol of colonialism. Um, So for like the Ainu up uh, in northern Japan and for the Okinawans, they see that as a symbol of their subjugation, basically. And although that's not what we meant by it, we're kind of we're going for like black lives. You know, we we live in Japan, you know, black lives with Japan. Um, When we chose a symbol like that, it was almost as if saying that we were okay with the colonialism of japan and that is not the message that we were trying to convey cool cool
0: yeah so wow i'm just kind of like listening to you talk and i'm just like wow that's the way that that whole thing evolved in like less than two weeks
1: yeah looks like it looks like it
0: yeah that was that was just amazing
1: um uh how have uh allies conducted themselves in the blm tokyo group have they been respectful of black voices. Um, have there been some issues? Have there been some moments of clarity that you've noticed? There have definitely been
2: some issues. I mean, there it's a lot of people in the group. So there are people that are really gray and there are people who will like actively like post reminders for like, you know, us non-black people, this is not really like our place to I don't know, take the lead or be the voice or anything like that and then we have people who are kind of do seem to forget that mm-hmm. and there is definitely conflict that happens sometimes on the page between people and people trying to like remind some people that you know you are just an ally here so it's mostly like mostly it's been good of course but mm-hmm. it, there definitely are at times these kinds of conflicts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh I'm I mean originally I was kind of head of SNS. I've passed that along to other people now, but um there were definitely some conflicts conflicts even kind of related to communication and design. Um, there was one issue where a white person in the group, well, some posters got posted in within the group, and it was like these posters might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. And some white person came along, and it was like the fist looks, <laughs> the fist looks um, aggressive. <laughs> I think I think that was the wording they used. Yeah, use. that's
1: what I that's what I understand.
3: And there was a huge like discourse that I did not know happened within that uh, thread. And this happened at about the same time we changed our logo to the uh, icon, uh, the typographic one, the, right. le- the lettering only. So that event got conflated with the changing of our logo. Mm-hmm. And it was believed that we had allowed a white person to speak over us. Oh, okay. Thus, we mm-hmm. took okay. the fist off of our logo. Got it. All right. That's which, not what happened. That's not what happened. Okay. It was completely unrelated. And But I think it caused some people to lose some support we we lost a little support or mm-hmm. maybe some faith in us I think we got that faith back once the posters were released Mm -hmm. because the, the post, um, especially the main like black lives matter poster included the fist. Yeah. Um, so people were like, Oh, the fists are back. And I'm like, the fists were never (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) going away. Like the original posters weren't ours. I think it was kind of hard for people with so many people being in the group. It was kind of hard to tell like, what was the official discourse coming from the organized, you know, us organizers and what was just coming
1: from like commenters. and Yeah. Okay. All right, because there was there was definitely a bit of conflict. Like, eh, why are Mm. they speaking for them? (laughs) Why? Yeah. Um. Okay. That's that's good to hear. (laughs) I'm I'm actually very relieved to hear that. Okay. So, hmm. so, uh, so for safety and security, on the day of, there was a very hard and fast rule about, you know, please do not let anyone antagonize you on the day of, and, um, you know, those who I guess, try to... Those who act out violently, you know, will be turned over to the police. I guess my question is, considering that a lot of these marches, whether here or in Tokyo or or back home, kind of center around, you know, defunding the police, divesting from the police, how would you reconcile that with turning over, I guess, an antagonizer, or even someone in self-defense over to the police in that situation?
2: Well... The security decisions were mostly like left up to the people who were the security team that we had created, which was just like a couple of, not a couple, but like, I think it was six or seven people um, who were going to be in charge of keeping an eye on things. So the whole idea of turning people over to the police, I feel like... I don't. I don't really know what people thought that that means. Like, mm-hmm. if like you did like a slight disturbance, then we we're going to give you to the police or something. But mm-hmm. we're saying like, if you are trying to like fight people that are attending our event,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and you're you're trying to fight, we're going to first bring our security people over. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to talk you down. They're going to, you know, deescalate things. Ask you why are you doing that? Why are you here? Are you even part of our group? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But especially if you're not even in the group, because a big concern for us was people from outside the group trying to come in and cause problems. And especially because there were um, like basically racist protesters out that day Mm -hmm. protesting. Um, We wanted to make sure that we weren't going to have a problem with those people. And so we were saying like, if you come in, you're ignoring our suggestions because we're the the police are there, like the police are a part of the protests they're going to be standing right next to you, basically, and if you are trying to fight despite us insisting no mm-hmm. you can't do that like we can't stop the police from coming to you- basically like okay. if you are a part of the group and you're trying to fight people like we can't we can't like stop the police basically if they come they get you, and we can't try to like fight them mm-hmm. or. Add to that, right. either
1: right, of course not.
2: So, like, I mean, turning people over to the police would be if you were actually like against the group. Luckily, we didn't have any incidents with those people. But okay. like, if you're not a part of the group, we're not going to like protect you, obviously, right? And then, if you are a part of the group and you're participating in some sort of conflict, had that happened, we would have of course tried to remind you what we're doing, why we're here. That's not what we're going for, and try to de-escalate this as non-violently as possible but it's more so like like if if the police come and they're i don't know trying to do something or they start to get involved then like we we don't have any sort of authority your hands are tied do anything with that and we're not Mm -hmm. going to like I'm not going to have the security team get themselves arrested Mm -hmm. also because Mm -hmm. of you right?
3: especially if they're Japanese I mean with the way the laws are here if a violent situation occurred and especially if it's a Japanese person causing the violent situation We can't we don't really have the right to defend ourselves physically.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, we don't. don't. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We're allowed to run away. We're basically (laughs) allowed to tell the police, although they may not do anything. Right. But if we touch if we touch them, even if it's in self-defense, somehow somehow suddenly the fault is on us.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we all know the uh, Japanese judicial system is ninety nine percent conviction rate. So,
1: Yeah. (laughs) which is always a good sign yeah. of, of good police
0: work. <laughs>
1: Not course confessions or anything. Nah. Mm-mm. No.
0: One thing I noticed like with the group that I thought was really cool, you know, as being a moderator admin of the group was the amount of Japanese members in the group. I I would say at least I would say somewhere around 40% of the 3000 plus that are in the blm tokyo facebook group are japanese so i was wondering what what um what do you think about that i mean is do you see that as an opportunity to um reach out to these people and to connect with these people because i feel like a lot of these japanese people who are in the group are probably people we wouldn't even normally come across at events or you know because they're just in their own circles or whatever so what do you think about that
2: I think that it's great, and that's something that I've been excited to see. Um, and I think that like one of the, I guess you could call it complaints or questions. I don't know. One of the responses that the group originally got would always be like, "Oh, like do Japanese people even care? Like, is this just?" Or they would be like, "Oh, foreigners are just trying to push their, I don't know, whatever it mm-hmm. is onto Japanese people." Um, but just clearly from the demographics of the group that's not the case and there are lots of Japanese people who do want to be involved and I mean that's very important because it, it can't just be about like it can't just be us trying to make changes and trying to have conversations because it was just us talking that it's not a conversation
0: definitely, definitely. I, I definitely saw that as a, as a, as a really good thing something that I, I don't think I've seen in any Facebook group um, just how fast, you know, the group came together and then also the demographic. Yeah, I would say, like I said, at least 40%. You know, because I, I, I'm screening people and, you know, a lot of these uh, Japanese people are like, um, you know, work at colleges and, you know, come from an academic background of some sort, so it was pretty cool. Um, I think that's something to, to I guess, uh, think about going forward with the group and events and putting out information stuff like that. So uh how has just living in Japan been for you too in general? Um like you I think you said you've been here maybe a couple years and you 3 years, so uh how has it been?
2: Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh some really good days, some not so good days. I don't know, lots of ups and downs, but you can say that about anywhere.
3: Yeah, it's it's the same for me. It's kind of a roller coaster. There's some days where I'm like, I love Japan. It's all it's everything I've ever dreamed of. And then there are some days where I have certain instances and I'm just like, I want to go home. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have those days, yeah. <laughs> and then I look at home and I'm like, mm, home's not <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: We can't go home now. <laughs> yeah. We're stuck. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been here almost eight years and, you know, it's positives and negatives of course um but i think everybody's situation is different and um you know my situation i'm i guess i'm content with this lifestyle right now you know so um
3: yeah i feel the same way it's just like i think after three years here and actually just just on friday i got confirmed that i've got three more good and congrats thank you <laughs> So, you know, I'm at the point where I was just like, you know, no place is perfect. No place is going to be perfect, but I'm fine where I am, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm just going to keep living my life, basically.
1: Yeah. I think for me, it just took me a while to find my footing. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the first four years, like, I've been here for seven, first four years were, (laughs) like... Uh, like from the moment I like the first job I got let go because I was considered too scary. So like off rip, and I had like a week to leave the subsidized apartment. I had to find a new job, and it was just like wow. Wow. honeymoon period where <laughs> never. Wow. Um, it just and then for a while I was like hopping from job to job for a bit. And like the company I've been with for a while, I've been with them for like four years. They've treated me very well. I've moved up in the company. Um, so a lot of it, honestly, I th- I find that when I got a bigger support system, especially of a lot more black people, that mm-hmm. made my life so much easier. Cause if it was it was just me, like I don't have family here. Um, I had one friend at the time who lived in the same, who was from the same area in Jersey as I was. So we hit it off, you know, but I think the more I got a support system and also um, the more I became involved with the community, even if I wasn't organizing, just like going to events, having get togethers and definitely have my own apartment, um for the past five years definitely helps a lot for sure but you really gotta if it's hard i guess if you have a support system from the beginning at least you know because you're here as a student and you didn't come here as a student a jet yeah you were here A jet. jet has a big support system. Yeah, yeah yeah um i think it, it 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 that kind of made make your experience a little different hmm. but yeah it took me four years to get it together This is Ayanna of Black Lives Matter Kansai. Remember, until Black Lives Matter, then all lives will matter.
4: You're listening to Tokyo
1: Speaks.
0: So, you know, lastly, before we get out of here, I wanted to, what's this, June 28th? Yeah. Yeah, so this is uh, technically still Pride Month. Right, and as we all know, you know, Pride, Black Lives Matter, it relates to Black people of you know all across the diaspora, and um, it's kind of interesting that these two happen in the same month. Well, Pride is traditionally every June, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, every June. And and I guess the Black Lives Matter uh, these protests just started, just you know, came about around the same time. So, and, and as I'm aware, you two are part of the LGBT community, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about just being who you are, and I guess living here in Japan?
3: Um, uh, so, I mean, for me, it's it's a pretty big issue. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter is is really intersectional. Um, I still get asked about um because our posters one of them specifically was like black queer and trans lives matter and i and i get asked sometimes about why would we highlight that um some oh people, really yeah some people were wondering if we we're trying if if it was like the lgbt community pushing an agenda with mm. on onto black lives matter or if we're trying to say that um these these Black Lives Matter more than all Black Lives Matter. And it's so weird to me because these sort of questions are coming from Black people and I'm like, yes. Yes. no! Yes. They don't get the... They don't yes. get the... Yeah. Yeah. the, the that's mover. really ironic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: And then the key words you said is intersectional. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Black people, just people in general, they don't understand how things intersect.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, and the sad part about it is um there were a lot of like Black queer people who've been part of the movement. Well, The BLM movement was founded by Black queer women, right? And then you think of all the Black queer um, uh, icons and and activists we had. Stonewall was
3: started by a Black queer woman. Yeah,
1: and then we had Bayard Rustin. Um, Bayard Rustin was a huge, huge, huge part of the Civil Rights Movement back in the '60s. Um, But people kind of pushed Dr. King more. Um, Then, of course, you got James Baldwin and Angela Davis. You know, all those people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So it is kind of interesting how people think you're either Black or you're queer. Yeah. And not both. Yeah.
3: And then I mean even putting us into it, like Sierra and I, and it's just people seem to like to for conveniently forget, you mm. know?
0: Yeah. Um it, was that was that more of an issue when you lived in the States? Uh or like uh, how, how how do people um I guess how how do they uh, receive you here in Japan? Or do they are they questioning you about certain things about your identity and
3: i mean being japanese culture doesn't really get talked about a lot i think i was a lot kind of maybe i won't say louder but it was just kind of more obvious when i lived in the states you know based on who i was saying that i liked and or who i was dating or, or things like that um but i mean it's kind of a kind of an uphill battle regardless because so I identify so I'm bisexual, but I also identify as agender, um, which um, falls under the non binary uh, umbrella. But for me, basically, it means that I don't experience gender, I don't feel gender. And I often get questioned about that or just kind of weird side-eyed looks because it's like, one, I've continued to use she, her pronouns. Uh, okay. But that's just because that's what I kind of grew up with. It's my experience. I'm used to it. Um, but also because I'm so, f- like, feminine in my dress. Right. Right um and to be honest the femininity kind of came about when i moved to japan not so much a japanese pressure it's just i really like the clothes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um like anyone who knows me back in the states was knows i was just kind of like t-shirts sweatpants girl uh but yeah so when i became to japan is when i really real when i became more feminine uh because even growing up i just like i don't really feel like a woman like that didn't really happen to me Um, my uh, parents never kind of pushed that upon me that I was limited by anything because I'm a woman. It's really when I hit puberty that I was like, you're a woman now, so Mm. you must do this, this, and this, and this. And I just kind of sat there like, really? Am (laughs) I supposed to feel something? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. So I actually when I came to Japan um, and I decided to become more feminine in my dress because I like it, I like the aesthetic, I thought, surely... Now I will feel like the woman that I was always supposed to be. And it just didn't mm. happen. <laughs> so that's when I think I became even more open about, like, I'm agender. I don't experience gender. I don't feel gender. Um, yeah. And when I try to explain it to, to people, I basically just try to explain, like, as, especially to people within the black community. Because um, that's kind of where I honestly get the most pushback. Um I just try to kind of relate it to race. Like, I feel like a lot of Black people probably feel their race when they feel certain experiences, whether good or bad. I mean, I feel like in back in the States, my life as a Black person was a lot of tokenism, actually. Like, I was able to use my race to my advantage, to get scholarships and, and things like that. So whether they were like positive or negative experiences, I feel like a Black person. Like, I feel like I'm reminded by that, of that all the time. I don't experience that with my perceived gender and so yeah that that's my personal experience
0: sierra um how how do you identify
3: so
2: i am a cisgender woman that means that i identify with the gender that i was born with female um, but i am bisexual and so lately for the last year and a half i have been in what you would consider a heterosexual relationship with a male but um, and because of that a lot of people generally just assume that I'm like straight if they haven't spoken to me um, or don't really like know a lot about me because I guess like on my Instagram I'm pretty open about by bi- being bi and I mention it fairly regularly I would say um, but like if you're just meeting you me you might not know that like mm. I don't like wear a sign saying that I'm bisexual or anything like that and it was different for me when I was like in high school because I realized that I was by like my junior year I think and then I was extremely open about it and At that point in time, I decided to date this girl at my school, so I had a girlfriend for a period of time, and everybody knew about it, and everybody, of course, knew that I wasn't straight because of that, like everybody around me, Um, but like after that, and now like dating a guy, it's like, of course, I have to kind of remind people,
1: Mm -hmm. and Yeah. "Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah,
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> how how were your parents um, uh, what were their thoughts when they I guess knew or found out
2: so my parents were like extremely open and accepting um, I'm the oldest of four daughters in my family and I As far as we know presently, I'm the only one who has any sort of queer identity. And when I came out to them, I was really nervous um, because my family is like a Christian family, Mm. but my parents were like, oh, this doesn't change anything about how we feel about you, you know, and we like want to know more, I guess, like about how you feel and like your experience and then when I did start dating this girl I was very like open because first I like asked her to be my date to homecoming and so I just told my parents I was like oh I found a date to homecoming and they were like oh who who is it and I showed them pictures and they're like oh yeah she's cute and that was kind of like how it went with my parents it's been really good
0: beautiful that's very beautiful. good Glad yeah. to hear it yeah yeah because I'm pretty sure you know a lot of experiences are not that good yeah <laughs> yeah Within black culture, uh, black families. But, all right. um, If ladies have anything else you would like to say. Any uh, plugs? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. If that's all you have to say about your identity. uh, Yeah. Do your plugs, social media plugs, and we'll wrap it up.
3: So, um, I don't know when this is coming out, but.
0: Uh, Mid-July.
3: Oh, mid July. Okay. Well, then it will the first one will have passed. But on July fifth, there will be a um, webinar. The first episode of a webinar called Real Talk, uh, BML Tokyo Real Talk, um, and it's going to be a reoccurring thing. But it's going to basically bring on um, members of the black community here in Japan and also kind of members of the activist community here in Japan. So not necessarily black, but just giving good information about the black experience, Black Lives Matter and just activism in Japan. So the first one uh, will be July 5th, Sunday, July 5th from 2 to 4 p.m. And then we plan to have it reoccurring after, although we don't have the second episode planned just yet. But as it goes um also more things coming down the pipeline i believe in august is when it's supposed to be is like a live stream music event um with like black artists um and perhaps some japanese artists within the community as well as well as an art event coming down after that
0: and this is all blm tokyo right? this is
3: all BLM uh, blm tokyo yes
0: <laughs> all Right. Um uh, anything else you want to shout out your social media plugs or if you want to just shout out blm social media
3: so you can follow blm if you search blm tokyo jp so at blm tokyo jp on facebook uh, twitter and instagram will come up um if you are interested in following me jamie personally i am so J-A-I-M-E dot dot Japan. so j-a-i-m-e.in.japan um <laughs>
2: If you would like to follow my Instagram where I post my weird fashion pictures, <laughs> uh, you can find that at Frokio. And that's the only social media I use personally.
0: Okay. I'll add all the links and stuff. And um, yeah, it's f- for all of you. So,
1: yeah. Oh, should I plug myself yeah. too? Yeah, plug yourself. Okay. So on Twitter and on Instagram, I am LadyScribe21, L A D Y S C R I B E 2 1. Um, I'm more active on Twitter I think because my IG I'm not I only there's only a lot of pictures of myself and like that random time I posted myself voicing characters on Final Fantasy 9 so like, <laughs> you can if you want but if you want to like talk to me or you know see my see my articles I do pin my articles Um, Twitter at LadyScribe21
0: alright thank you all for coming out and joining me on Tokyo Speaks uh, follow Tokyo speaks on Instagram, Twitter, no Facebook. I put out episodes every other Tuesday. Um hopefully I can keep this get back into the groove of that uh you know due to COVID-19 I was I didn't record for about a month and a half. But yeah, um listen to us on all platforms. Um just Google Tokyo speaks, but we're on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you can think of, all right? Um Thank you all for coming once again and see you next episode. Bye.